Al Jazeera podcast. Poland sends troops to the Belarus border, fearing threats from Russia via its neighbor. Warsaw has been central in helping Ukraine fight the war, but there's been tension too, at times just as with the EU. How will the Ukraine war affect Poland's future? I'm Sehul Rahman, and this is the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyze, and help to define major global stories. Let's bring in our guests in Warsaw, Liliana Smehich, the president of the Warsaw Institute, a Polish non-profit think tank specialising in geopolitics and international affairs. In Berlin is Ben Aris, founder and editor-in-chief of BNE IntelliNews, that is a business media company focusing on emerging markets. And also joining us from Poland's capital is Michal Baranowski, a senior fellow and managing director at the German Marshall Fund East, a non-profit transatlantic organisation. A warm welcome to Inside Story. Um, Michal, can I start with you in Warsaw? Because Poland is spearheading the defence of uh, Europe when it comes to any potential aggression from Russia and Russia's allies. Warsaw accuses Belarus of allowing Russian-backed Wagner troops of threatening an advance on its borders. How worried should we be? Well, this is all depends on what the Wagner's group will do in Belarus. Uh, for a number of years, we have now considered Belarus as basically a military space of Russia. Uh, Belarus is losing sovereignty. Uh, the Wagner group is coming. Nuclear weapons are coming. So that is very worrying. And Poland, as you said, is on the front um, uh, of this confrontation with uh, with Russia, given that 90% of military aid to Ukraine goes through Poland, and uh, and Poland is becoming a strong NATO ally with spending uh, over 4% on defense um, this year. Ben, can I ask you the same question in Berlin? How worried should we be about the build-up of Russia's allies, you might say, on the Belarus border? Well, certainly uh, that Russia has been using Belarus as a launchpad uh, for its aggression against Ukraine. And of course, in February last year, that uh, it attacked from the north that caught a lot of people out by coming through Belarus down to Kiev. That's the short way of doing it. However, there's um, reports this morning on a Russian um, telegram channel saying, checkers saying that Lukashenko has actually kicked the Wagner troops out because he's refused to pay for them. Uh, we're waiting for confirmation on that story. But um, again, I think the Wagner troops have unsettled everyone because after their eight months campaign uh, to take Bakhmut, they've uh, established themselves a reputation of being ferocious and effective fighters. And so mm-hmm. having such a potent military force in Belarus has unsettled everybody, Poland in particular, mm-hmm. which I think is partly motivated them to beef up the troops. Yeah. But again, Lukashenko is is a, is a bit of a loose cannon. Um, the chances of Belarus and him specifically attacking somewhere like Poland, I think, are very low. Okay. But he likes to mix things up. He likes to build up tensions, and which he uses in his negotiations with Putin in particular. He has to be useful to Putin. And keeping uh, uh, Poland on its back foot is definitely useful to Putin. OK. Uh, Michal, certainly agreeing with you on that. But let's uh, cross over to Liliana also in Warsaw. Uh, is it a nervous time for the, the thinkers in Warsaw, the politicians, the critics, the supporters, to try and work out what's going on on Poland's borders. How do you assess the situation at the moment, especially when there is this talk of a build-up of troops, potentially, uh, on the Poland-Belarus border? Yes. Uh, 
first of all, thank you very much for the invitation and directly answering your question. Well, of course, the situation is very serious. However, on the other hand, uh, well, Russia was also supposed to uh, get Kiev in seven days. So we need to think about it as a reality. However, yes, the situation is very, very um, difficult. Also, Poland is uh, spending a lot of money on defense also investing in not just international uh, military equipment, but also on our uh, domestic ones. So yes, the situation is serious. However, we also need to be realistic. And of course, uh, Liliana, before I, I go back to uh, Michal about this, how do people as assess Poland's membership of NATO? Do they think it's working in this particular context of other NATO countries also helping Poland defend its borders? Well, I would say that NATO is our security guarantor, and I believe that majority of society uh, would agree with me. Uh, so there's no doubt that uh, the 2% uh, that uh, we need to spend on uh, our defense is just the minimum. And uh, also Poland uh, is encouraging other countries to spend even more. Uh, Michal, can I come to you uh, in Warsaw? Uh, in your opinion, the Russian tactics are changing, aren't they, uh, when it comes not just to Wagner, but the relationship with Belarus and with Lukashenko, um, their friends, their allies. Wagner is there one minute, then there's this talk of nuclear weapons. How strong is the relationship and where are the weak points in that relationship? Well, let me first uh, just agree with Liliana about uh, NATO's popularity in, in Poland. Just, just so everyone sure. knows, Poland is in fact uh, uh, NATO is uh, po Poland is the most pro-NATO country that uh, that we uh, have in Europe. Uh, GMF will come out soon with a poll showing this as well. So there is no question about uh, the popularity of of NATO um, in in Poland. And when we look to Belarus and Russia again, especially the strategic community, the thinkers, the military, the politicians are seeing basically a connected space. Yes, Lukashenko is there. Yes, he is the president of, of Belarus. But because of his crimes against his own people, because of his economic dependence on Russia, and now because of presence of uh, Wagner Group and nuclear weapons on his territory, we really should not consider Belarus a separate sovereign country. Putin could get rid of Lukashenko if he really wants to. Lukashenko's main goal is to remain in power because that guarantees that he uh, is staying alive. Mm -hmm. So it's um, it, it's no longer uh, any uh, possibility for for Lukashenko and Belarus to balance in any ways Russia and and the West. It's firmly within the grip of Moscow, and that's why when we see maneuvers close to our borders in Poland, this is when we get concerned, especially about the hybrid tactics. Indeed. Uh, ben, let's come to you in Berlin, because it's interesting the perspective from Poland to where you are in Berlin. The Germans will have a very different take on it, but obviously, you know, you're a news agency that looks the whole, whole of Europe uh, as one as such. I mean, what's the perspective there about what's going on between the Poland and, and Belarusian border? Well, as, as I said, I mean, this, Europe has been divided. Um, that border was open before in so much as 
before the war, there was a huge amount of trade between the European Union and Russia until the sanctions started to appear in 2014. And that border was wide open and most of the traffic, there was a constantly a queue of trucks crossing it one way or the other. And what's changed now is we have a fortified border. It's become a militarized border. Um, in so much as Lithuania also shares a short border with uh, Belarus and it's recently closed two of its posts. Over the last eight months, the Ukrainians have massively fortified their part of the border in order to stop a second invasion from the north, you know, threatening Kiev. And now we're seeing that uh, Poland is um, seeing this incursion with the helicopters last week that shook everyone up. The threat of Wagner troops being in, uh, in Belarus has unsettled people. And now uh, Poland is also militarizing their part of the border. And if you remember about a year ago, there was the migrant crisis where uh, Lukashenko was sending thousands of you know, largely Middle mm. Eastern uh, refugees across the border. And again, it was just open. I mean, people were wandering through the forest and, and that's changed. I mean, there's now barbed wire fences and they cleared part of the forest in front of the fence and there's serious guards there. And we haven't seen that kind of militarized border in Europe for whatever it is, 70 for some years. Time, yeah. And it's I returned mean, and manifestation of attention. Yeah, I mean, uh, there, there, are several, there are several issues that Poland's going through at the moment, and one obviously is this issue with uh, Ukraine and the war in Ukraine uh, set about by, by Russia. Let's just slightly move on to uh, the relationship of Poland uh, and the war uh, and Ukraine. Um, it, you know, it, it, to the outside world, it seems a very cosy relationship that both Ukraine and Poland have. Uh, but there are issues uh, between Poland and the rest of Europe on a different front uh, with the EU and the Court of Justice. Uh, Liliana, can I come to you uh, about this and about uh, jurisdiction, about sovereignty, about who really is in charge of Poland? Because when you have that ingrained, you might say, or set in stone, only then can Poland deal with its neighbours and its international partners. This has not been resolved, has it, between Warsaw and Brussels? Well, indeed, I would say that the uh, relationship between, uh, as you said, Warsaw and Brussels is quite uh, complicated. Uh, however, um, the um, Mm, uh, this uh, this crisis, uh, this problem in judiciary system, as you also mentioned, has I would say two dimensions. First of all, is the uh, political, and also the substantive uh, level. So yes, I agree. The judiciary system yes still needs some reforms, and uh, we can also hear from some of the representatives of government that actually there are some plans to reform it if they will win their third uh, currency. Mm, but there's also another component of it, which is a political uh, dimension. Uh, even, you know, just uh, last year when uh, Ursula von der Leyen uh, visited uh, Warsaw, she had a meeting with, with our Prime Minister Morawiecki, and it seems like um, the conflict was resolved, and uh, probably the uh, next generation fund will come to Poland. However, it didn't happen, so... I believe that till the law and justice is in power, it is possible that Poland will not get the money from uh, from the next generation fund. Indeed. Uh, Michal, can I come to you in, in Warsaw? This is a an issue that is grinding on as Poland heads towards a general election. And yet some analysts, and, and if you, you know, read what's on the internet uh, and the people that we're speaking to at Al Jazeera uh, about this, uh, the... Uh, the incumbent political party has been very good at demonising its opposition and demonising minority groups, all in the 
space of saying this is for national sovereignty and national security? Uh, yes, indeed, that that is the argument, but it is uh, very firmly rejected by all the European and, in fact, broader than European uh, legal authorities. There is really no standing uh, that on uh, the issue that the changes that the government introduced in the uh, in the legal system um, fall within the rule of law as as uh, as other European um, countries have. There is, you know, the, the issue uh, and this conflict has been uh, almost resolved, as Liliana pointed out, but, uh, but it was, in fact, President Duda who didn't sign the law, President Duda coming also from law and justice, who didn't sign, sign the law that would correct some of the biggest uh, issues with, uh, with uh, rule of law. So I think there is a, there is relatively little expectation that uh, if law and justice wins the upcoming uh, parliamentary election on October 15th, that it will be that camp that fixes the issues of rule of law. I think there are expectations that Poland can uh, begin to a longer process, in fact, of going back to a uh, judiciary system that has a level of uh, independence uh, only under a different government than the current one. Whether that happens or not, we'll, well, we start to wait and see. I mean, Ben Aris in Berlin, President Biden was actually in Poland earlier in the year, um, you know, espousing or extolling the virtues of freedom and democracy um, around the anniversary of the invasion of, of Ukraine. It all sort of fell at the right time, you might say. But it sits uncomfortably, doesn't it, with the US having to make alliances as some might see with countries that have rather questionable, um, wouldn't say domestic internal politics and issues over human rights. You know, it's not just Poland, it's Turkey and India as well. Indeed. I mean, we, we at BNE cover the entire region and we see this in a regional context. And I think Biden had to go there and give that message because Poland needed reminding about the democracy part. I mean, the, the judicial reforms are effectively giving the, the government, the, the, the ruling party, uh, a tool whereby they can pressure the courts, which is you're supposed to have separation of, you know, the, the judiciary and the government. And the Gallup did a very interesting poll several years ago and found that there's a, uh, a, a values fault line that runs down the middle of Europe. And although Poland's brought into the European Union membership because economically it's worked fantastically well in so much as Poland gets some 9 billion euros a year in reconstruction funds. And to put that in context, you know, before the war, Ukraine used to get three billion. So it's a lot of money. And Poland has flourished in 2008. It was the only country in Europe that didn't go into recession. But they haven't really bought into the values part of the EU project. And again, this fault line of values, if you look to the, uh, to the east, Poland's on that side. And it adheres to these more sort of traditional, in this case, Catholic um, conservative values and the rest of Eastern Europe, Orthodox conservative values, where family is the most important, um, where it's a much more sort of authoritarian, top-down kind of uh, administration rather than the liberal democracy that we have here in yeah. Germany, for example. And, okay. and that's actually a problem. It's a work in progress. And um, they haven't... <laughs> Please, I mean, I, I'm controversial, maybe, point of view. Yeah, Liliana, you want to come in there? 
Uh, yes, well, I, I disagree with uh, some parts uh, of your speech because uh, you're talking that we didn't uh, imply, you know, European values. I wouldn't use this kind of word because Poland welcomed millions of refugees. And it is a world phenomenon because we didn't uh, create any of the refugee camps, as for example, Germany did. But we welcome all of the refugees to our houses. So we gave our hearts to, to, to refugees. and. I wouldn't say that we uh, didn't uh, imply European values because European values is, for example, solidarity. And that's what uh, Poland exactly showed, not just the political elites, but the whole society. Well, thinking of that, let's cross back to uh, Michal in uh, Warsaw. And of course, you know, while sort of the global community looks at Poland's reputation right now as, you know, heroes and the vocal support and the military support they're giving to Ukraine, there are underlying tensions between the two countries that have been there for many, many years, hundreds of years, if not. Um, you know, one man's hero, such as uh, Bandera for Ukraine, is nothing more than a monster for Poland. And these issues rumble on, do they not? And this is why even President Zelensky had to get involved recently. You're absolutely right that Poland and Ukraine have very difficult history. Uh, and we have just had an 80th anniversary of Volyn massacre. Uh, where lots of Poles, as well as Ukrainians, have lost their life. But the war brought nothing less than a, uh, almost a miracle, I would say, in terms of the depth of Polish-Ukrainian reconciliation. As Liliana pointed out, Polish society welcomed uh, Ukrainian war refugees to our homes. Uh, and that history has really become a history. It echoes from time to time, but I cannot imagine us going back to the difficult political relations caused by history that we have seen before the war. Again, the depth of the reconciliation between our two countries is irreversible and nothing that I would expect two years ago before the, before the war started. Sure. Well, history might not be echoing uh, in the same way that what's happening is resonating right now, Liliana, in terms of the grain deal, because there is friction between Ukraine and Poland over cheap Ukrainian grain heading through Poland and to the European markets, and that's upsetting Poland and its agricultural finances and belt. I mean, how is this all going down at the moment? Because Poland has embargoed uh, Ukrainian grain, certainly until mid-September. That may continue, and that might upset the EU. Well, uh, I would say it's not just a problem of Poland, but all of the Eastern, um, Central Eastern European countries, because our main branch of the economy is indeed uh, agriculture. And yes, indeed, the farmers uh, were quite upset because of the lower prices uh, of the uh, Ukrainian grain. So, um, yes, in this case, uh, the interest of uh, producers uh, has won over the interest of uh, consumers. However, I believe that we'll need, we will need uh, in the future, if not now, some kind of interference of the uh, European Commission to solve the issue, especially if we are thinking about the future uh, accession of uh, Ukraine in the European Union. Uh, ben, can I bring you in uh, from Berlin? How much does an issue like grain imports impact on domestic politics, it, certainly when you're heading towards a general election? And this is a hot topic at the moment in Poland. 
Exactly. Look, this is a very interesting topic, and it says quite a lot about the complicated and difficult um, relations everyone has here. In so much as Ukraine now is completely, almost, almost completely bankrupt, and its only hard currency earner is the grain exports, and with the naval blockade in the Black Sea and the collapse of the grain deal that it's been trying to get as much grain as it can out by train going west, which arrives on the Polish markets. And as Liliana said, that collapsed the local market and upset the local farmers. And so the government in, in Poland um, banned it, blocked. But this is Poland, Ukraine's biggest supporter. And yet at the same time, they've cut them off from the only source of money that they can earn at the moment in trade. And the reason why is obvious is because the election's coming up and the agricultural lobby is extremely big and powerful. So Poland's been forced to make a change, uh, a choice between supporting its ally, um, Ukraine, and dealing with domestic issues, winning an election. And it, at the end, chose its own um, its own agenda, its, its elections, uh, and actually has hurt Ukraine to the point where the Ukrainians banned sugar exports to Poland, which, again, Poland is a big uh, importer of Ukrainian sugar, and that caused a problem. The solution, um, Poland's asked the EU for a billion dollars in compensation. So I think that's what's going to happen is throw some money at it. But it un, you know, underpins that the, the Western or Western Europe wants to support Ukraine, but at the same time it needs or wants to limit the amount of economic damage that's being done to its own economies. Um, and so this war can't go on for too long because it's already costing Europe a lot of money. But as both my, uh, Michal and Liliana said that Poland in particular has shown a lot of solidarity and the rest of Europe has been prepared to take a lot of pain for the sake of Ukraine. Um, and that okay. that's European value. That's yeah. it. Uh, and that will... So let me just jump in with Michal and just ask him then, how important is it to try and restart the grain deal and try and get, you might say, Russia on board, uh, address Russia's concerns that its products weren't being sold uh, internationally and that it also questioned whether the grain that was leaving Ukraine was going to uh, poorer nations around the world? It really did question that. What's your take on the way that subject is being discussed in Poland? Well, Russia's naval blockade of the Black Sea obviously causes huge uh, repercussions in uh, uh, throughout the global south, especially when it comes uh, to hunger, uh, and and that could be really fixed uh, easily by President Putin just signing the the grain deal again. Um, some of this grain can be transported uh, through Poland, through Romania, uh, but it will not replace the ports of the of the Black Sea. So here, the responsibility for the hunger just lies very clearly uh, with Vladimir Putin. Um, I do think that we'll need to find a longer-term solution because Ukraine's agriculture policy, uh, agriculture uh, sector is so large that it would. Uh, require a huge changes to the European agriculture policy. Uh, it, it will when Ukraine will become an EU member. So this is something that we'll be grappling with for the for the years to come, certainly throughout the EU. Well, we are coming to the end of our programme. So, Liliana, I'll ask you the last question. In terms of the relationship now between Poland and Ukraine and Poland and the EU, in your opinion, what is of most value right now to Poland as politicians, you might say, sell their po political position as they head towards that general election in the autumn? This is all going to ramp up as the weeks progress. 
Well, I would say that the relationship of Poland uh, and EU and relationship between Poland and Ukraine are completely different things. Relationship between Poland and Ukraine is strong and it will be strong. Poland will be supporting uh, Ukraine. It is supporting Ukraine. It will not stop. Our relationship with EU is something completely different. So I wouldn't even bind those two things because uh, Ukraine's independence, uh, Ukraine's sovereignty is also our goal. Interesting conversation that I'm sure we'll be revisiting again in the coming months. It's been great to have you on this edition of Inside Story. Liliana Smirch, Ben Aris and Michal Varnovsky, thank you for joining me. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Laura Khan, Abla Kla and Jim Gilchrist. Sound was by Eli Alani. The programme was edited by Mohamed Shobi, Khalid Sultan and Joda Fries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next edition. This week on The Take, why were more than 300 Muslim homes and shops demolished near the Indian capital this week? That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.